Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we have got a really special treat for you guys. We are talking to one amazing mama. She is, wait for it, a former U.S. Olympic gold medalist. Okay, let's see if you can guess from here. A New York Times bestselling author, an entrepreneur, a podcast host, a proud mama, and also a champion of Dancing with the Stars. Do you know who we're talking to, Ilaria? It's Sean Johnson, guys. It's, <laughs> it's like so exciting. I mean, I remember watching her in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. She was just, I mean, this woman, she has a heart of gold. Her smile just beams such wonderful things. She won four uh, medals, if you guys remember, including gold on the beam. And she was only 16 years old. Insane. Um, so we're so excited to to have her here today. All right, guys, here's Sean. Hi, I'm Sean Johnson, Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics, and I am a mom to a little one-year-old girl named Drew. Where can we follow you? At Sean Johnson, at Teddy and Bear Kids, and then teddyandbear.com. How are you guys holding up? Uh, We're doing good. We're doing good. My husband just came out of quarantine two days ago from having COVID. So, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. It was crazy in our house. He was living upstairs. <laughs> and you guys have a like eight-month-old, oh no, maybe older, almost a year right now? Yeah, she's a little over a year. Okay. I don't know. Are you allowed to say 13 months without yes, sounding crazy? You are for okay. sure. Okay. I have a 15 okay. month old. We say months until okay. two. <laughs> then you got to cut it off in 24 yeah, months. It's <laughs> so much different when like a, an 18 month versus a 12 month old. Radically different. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you know that even with your first, like there, and also just from 12 months to 13, you'll see every month from here until yeah. 24, it's just like every month it's a new skill. It's a new thing they're loving. So yes, we clock every month. You've My succeeded. husband calls me survived. crazy. Wait, so how, so talk about, you're, you're our first spouse talking about having like a little kid with a spouse with COVID. What was that experience like? What did you do? How did you survive? Oh my gosh. Tell us everything. So it's like, it's fine. He was fine. Luckily he had like cold symptoms, um, which almost made it worse because he was upstairs just doing nothing. And I was downstairs in our house and I just you just do everything with your kid you become like a single parent (laughs) and I would make him dinner and sit outside the door and just take care of her you go absolutely crazy wow how long did he have to be in quarantine for he did a full 10 days not around us and then the last like two days he can't he like could come out of his room but he couldn't like hold her or anything, which was torture for him with her of as course, well. Yeah. Because he has to like run from her, which is confusing. But it, um, yeah, we're, we're, we got through that. So it's, it's like it's crazy. And she, you, so you said she's 13. Yeah, she can't really yeah. understand right now. Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, you started gymnastics at three. Yes. Um, and so we're going to do like a little quick overview. I mean, everybody knows who you are, but like for, right. for the people who are living under rocks, um, okay. we'll like a quick, <laughs> quick overview. I started gymnastics when I was three. My mom and dad put me in it because I was this little kid that had way too much energy. I was jumping off of the entertainment center. I cracked my head open five times before the age of three because I thought I could fly. I was just, I was a massive liability. Oh my gosh. So my mom put me in ballet and they kicked me out at three (laughs) because I would never (laughs) listen. So she found what she called like this padded playground, which was gymnastics. And I fell in love with trampoline. And 
Fast forward, I was 12 years old when I made the U.S. um, national team and started traveling internationally to represent the country. And I was 16 when I made the Olympic team and won four medals. I can't remember, four. Yeah, (laughs) in Beijing, China. So crazy. Now, you know, being being somebody who grew up with such an incredible discipline, is that something that you're that you're giving to your daughter or are you going to see what kind of like mood she's in? Is she going to be like yeah. jumping off things and breaking her head open before you let her start? Uh, or? Yeah, she already is. She's <laughs> cra- she walked it almost eight months. So oh wow. wow, eight oh months in like two weeks. So, yeah, she was crazy. Um, I could care less. I could care less if she does gymnastics. I don't care what she does. I want to put her in everything and figure out what she loves. And that's what my parents did with me. So I'm really nervous if she ever gets into gymnastics. I feel like it's going to be a really rough road for her. The gymnastics community is so small. I could tell you every major coach in the entire country. And I don't think she would be given a fair shot to fail and be bad and, you know, stumble without people saying, oh, you're Sean's daughter. You should be good. And we Mm -hmm. should push you harder. I just, I don't like that. So that freaks me out. So I hope she chooses something other than gymnastics. But either way. I I take it your parents were not competitive athletes. Actually, yeah, they were. My dad was a hockey player for uh, 20 years, a wrestler for 20 years. My mom ran track and did a little bit of gymnastics, but nothing like super competitive. But when you got into it at, you know, the level that you were competing at, what was, what did your day look like? Like, what does that, how does that break down? So because I was a teenage kid, it looked different than like any other professional athlete. I woke up at six or seven and went to public school. I did a full day and I would go until, I think I was able to leave school around two just because I put all my study halls at the end and then the school allowed me to leave early. And then I would go train from 3.30 to 7.30 every day. And then go home, do homework, oh. eat dinner, go to bed, start over. And I did that Monday to Friday. Saturdays, I trained 9 to noon. I got an hour for lunch. And then I trained 1 to 3. And then I had Sundays off. And I did that for from 12 all the way till like 18. We interviewed Dominique Dawes on, on the <sighs> podcast. And she talked yeah. about how she really, I mean, she's so happy that she had this life and excelled and what an incredible experience it was. But it was also really hard because she didn't have mm-hmm. a childhood. And while you, you know, there's certain things about being put into sports and different activities where you stay out of trouble for the mm-hmm. most part. You don't have <laughs> yeah. time to get into trouble. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you also just don't can't just sit and play and know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, do you look back at your childhood and 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 feel feel that or are you just very, you know, you're like, you know what, this was the most amazing experience? So I was somehow very, very, very lucky. Um, my coach had this really interesting story. He was a world champion for China. And he actually moved from China to the United States with this dream of opening a gym and raising athletes that were also children, like Mm. allowed to be children, just because he had that lifestyle taken from him. And so his whole philosophy at his gym was, you're a kid first, you're a gymnast second. And even though I spent so much time at the gym, he let us be kids. I would come in and we would play games and we would do slip and slide during summer and we would get to, he, he would like, we would leave and he would take us to Dairy Queen to get frosty or like um, 
whatever Blizzards. they sell at Dairy Queen. <laughs> Blizzards. <laughs> there you go. Um, he would let us skip practice to go to school dances. And he truly allowed us to be children, which almost gave me the best of both worlds because I loved gymnastics so much. And I didn't feel like I was sacrificing anything because I was choosing to go be a kid in the gym instead of choosing to be a kid on the track team or at home. Right. That's amazing. It sounds like a very unique experience to be such it was. a high level athlete and be able to have that. <laughs> I was very lucky. Well, and also, at, at, I mean, incredible that he he himself had experienced what can happen when you aren't given mm-hmm. that opportunity to also be a kid. But I'm curious at, you know, at 12, um, when you when you got started with that level of like rigorous, just scheduled training times. Mm-hmm. Were there moments where you were like, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Like, how do you rally yes. at 12 when you don't? I mean, I, I, mental resilience feels like it takes your entire adulthood to get through, you know, and, and to yeah. cultivate. So how did you work to that? I actually wonder that myself these days because I truly don't think I could do it now. Um, I don't <laughs> think I have that discipline anymore. Um, but I remember my my parents and my coach did such a good job at reiterating every single day and every bad day and every time I would come into the gym and be like, oh, I just like, I want to quit this. I don't like this anymore. They would reiterate so many times that it was my decision. And no matter what I chose, they would be really happy for me and they would celebrate it. And I remember my coach even sitting me down and saying, okay, you want to quit? What do you want to do? Like you have all this time now. What are you going to go do? And he would be excited about it. And it would always confuse me as a kid and be like, wait, you mean I don't have to do this? And that kind of like mental psychology that they he would play on me and my parents would do in practice really made it so those hard days where I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. It almost made it harder because I couldn't go to my parents and be like, oh, I don't want to go and have that like fight with them that you like are looking for as a kid. I wanted them to like be like, oh, no, you have to go. You have to do this. You have to finish it. And when they would be like, okay, you don't have to go. Then I'd be like, oh, crap. No, I should. <laughs> like, I, I really want to go to the competition. I really want to do well. And it was just this like reverse psychology that really worked on me. And there were a couple times where I really thought I was serious. And my coach would be like, you know what? Take the week off. Don't come into the gym. Go try soccer. Go do whatever you want. In a week, come back. Talk to me. If you're, if you're still feeling that way, take another week. And wow. I did that a couple times. And he embraced me no matter what and was like, how did your week go? What'd you try? <laughs> and I'd be like, I miss gymnastics. <laughs> oh. Have you noticed, you know, I mean, we all watched the, I don't even remember what the guy's name is, probably better. Um, but, you know, we talk about a lot of the abuse that, that can happen inside of the gym. Um, do you feel like gymnastics is becoming, a, a high level gymnastics, I should say, is becoming a safer sport for young girls? Or do you, do you feel like there's more talk after what, what was that? Do we even want to say? Larry name? Nassar. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he was my doctor. I was a very lucky one. Um, he was my doctor for 20 years, even way after I retired from gymnastics. Wow. And yes, finally, I feel like I don't, I've never really known how to articulate it, but I feel like the issue with gymnastics is you watch the Olympics and you watch these girls compete and you compare them to Michael Phelps and to LeBron James who are adults, but these girls are children. They're 16 years old and you expect the same things from them. You expect them to make the right decision. You expect them to train professionally and like an adult and take it seriously for the United States. 
and you you lose this whole sense of they like you don't have the mental capacity yet you don't understand it you're like an adult figure is still your what you rely on and i think for the first time we're in a generation where people are understanding that these girls are children mm-hmm. and they cannot make decisions for themselves so they have to at all times have a representative or a chaperone or a parent or someone with them which i think is really good Oh, it's amazing. You know, you've been you've been very open about your your eating disorders, and then you know we'll get into mm-hmm. um, other things. But I, I mean, I on a very small level, I did gymnastics growing up, and I remember that that was a big part of it. You know, I mean, you go into I was not as lucky as you, and I didn't have coaches that were as nice as it seems like your coach was, mm-hmm. and um, and I had an eating disorder from when I was five until I was twenty five. Oh and, gosh. and you know what, it's part, it's part of my history. Yeah. I, I'm, I've got a great relationship with food now, but I know that definitely, you know, the years that I did gymnastics and dance mm-hmm. and all this different kind of stuff definitely contributed to, to what I was going through. Um, and you've been open about your, about your eating disorder. Um, what do you think as we have our, my daughter's seven and, and she loves gymnastics. She loves gymnastics, like in her own, like very free way where she's Mm -hmm. like, you know, trying to do a cartwheel and it's like not really happening, but she thinks it's so good. And we just go with that. (laughs) Um, and it's a very beautiful thing, but then you sort of think, well, if I put her into this, what's, what's going to happen when we, when Mm -hmm. we raise our children, not just girls, but boys too, because obviously this happens for boys as well. Mm -hmm. What kind of messaging can we do? What can we look out for? Uh, that is really hard because. I have seen in the world of gymnastics, I have seen things, like you said, start with such young girls and you don't know how they get there. I don't know how their mind gets to that place where they're like, oh, I need to stop eating in order to achieve whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. So I think the messaging that goes into it for boys and girls is first you have to like teach as a coach, as a parent, as a mentor, as anybody within that field, that the looks have nothing to do with it, especially at that age. I mean, the looks shouldn't have anything to do with it at a high level. It should truly be performance. And I was lucky to have a coach and parents who really taught that to me. Um, They always reinforced performance over anything else. Mm -hmm. It was always, how did you feel? How did you perform? Okay, then let's go fix that. And then second, I think it's just education, which I think, again, when you look at the difference between professional athletes who are adults and they're at such a high level, everything is given to them. Nutritionists, therapists, psychologists, mentors, everything. If there's any room to train your mind, they have figured out a way to coach that. Hmm. And I think you should be doing that. We should all be doing that for kids because at such a young age, kids don't understand the educational side of nutrition and how if they have goals, if they have things they want to change, there's actually healthy ways to do it. And I think if you just start educating them from the beginning, it can help. But I don't know. I've I've gone through the same thing. I have little girls that I mentor and they're like, oh, I can't go have a blizzard at Dairy Queen on Saturday because I need to look thinner. And I'm like, you're seven. (laughs) you don't need to look any certain way other than like a seven-year-old. I don't know. So I I, I think it's just education, but I truly don't know. I don't know the psychology for a a child and how, I don't, uh, yeah, society, (laughs) just change society. No, I I think what you said about how, you know, I mean, 
I, I teach yoga now and I talk about things being a side effect. So people mm-hmm. come to me, oh, I want to be thinner. I want to have stronger this. I want to have more, more toned X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, I said, it's actually the exercise that makes you stronger, that makes you feel good, that makes your body healthy. That's what you focus on. How you look is a side effect. And mm-hmm. if you do this and you do it well and you do it in, with kindness to your body, that will be the result. You don't even have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a hard thing, you know, when, when kids are growing up, number one, in a competitive sport where mm-hmm. they're comparing themselves, not just, you know, how great was my roundup, I can't spring back flip, but like, you know, I, how, uh, this person looks in their, in their leotard versus, my, you know, how I look in my leotard. Um, gymnastics is also something, I mean, you're, you, it's good to be, sh- it's good to be short. It's good to be tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's a difficult thing for, it can be amazing and it can be a great outlet. But it's also a difficult thing to to be a especially a girl growing up and um and trying to manipulate your body, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you're going through, you know, puberty and your body mm-hmm. starts to change and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Um, I think emotionally it can be it can be really tough on kids. But I think a little bit, you know, one thing that I've I've I mean, I have a six year old daughter um, who's my oldest and I one thing that I definitely sense from her at this age is that there is a heightened awareness of like, do I look like every other girl in my class? Like, do Mm -hmm. I in body shape and size and weight and whatever in what I wear? Like there is, you know, humans are communal creatures. Mm -hmm. They, they definitely take signals and cues from each other in that way. And what I've tried to focus on because it's what I've tried to focus on in my own life and in my own like fitness journey and post baby recoveries and all of that is how strong I feel. And I think it's actually like as as silly and like small as that sounds, I think it actually is sort of a revolutionary thing for women to focus on strength. Because I think before a lot of our a lot of what we were told to focus on was thinness and mm-hmm. how clothes looked and being emaciated and weak in in many regards was better than being strong and fit and, and you know a size larger like and it just it um it has shifted for in my mindset quite a bit to feel myself getting stronger in my skin every day as opposed to trying to watch scale numbers specifically and and really ju- value judging only on that um but what i've also been you know just as we talk about it it is about the words that we say and and culturally what we focus on that our girls are picking up on. But it's also like the subtle, silent things that I think moms do a lot of the time without even being aware of it because it's not chill. It's not directed at our children. It's directed at ourselves that we have to nip in the bud. So like they catch us giving ourselves like kind of a, you know, look in the mirror and, and like question, like tucking something in or like pulling something up or questioning whether we should wear something or, you know, and it's, and I think that that's a, that's like work we can do on ourselves first to try to give it to our kids. And I think that that's um, something we're all still sort of in flux about. Uh, but de- but definitely that's like, that makes me feel more powerful than hoping society changes because you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Like giving kids the right words to say and the right understanding of what's appropriate and not appropriate for for them to be to hearing or thinking is really critical. But like it starts with us first, you know, and I think... um it's challenging. It's challenging as an adult woman. I can only imagine being in like a bodysuit every day of your life from the time you're 12. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it's very comparative. I can totally see that. So, let, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the resilience that you have had to have throughout um, your career in terms of 
starting so young, going through middle school and high school years indisputably that are difficult and awkward and weird for everyone. <laughs> like, and yeah. you doing it, you know, with it, with an additional pressure heightened on top of it, um, competing at the Olympics, which is unfathomable for most people. Like talk about having a goal like that. And, um, and you know, what, what that even meant for your life term in terms of setting your sights that high. I think a lot of people don't set their vision that high because they're nervous. They'll never get there. What does it mean to actually say like, no, I'm going for this, you know, even after your injury, you said, I'm going for this again. Like it was such a cool, incredible thing that you were willing to put yourself out like that. What, what, what was that like? Uh, it was, it was a weird journey how it worked because I was a kid going for such a monumental goal. Um, but I remember meeting my coach the first time I walked into his gym and he asked what I, you know, what are my dreams? And I was like, oh, I want to go to the Olympics. And he, you know, laughs, but is like, great, awesome. Um, and then I remember him drawing out this pyramid and there were all these different levels to this pyramid. And he would show like how many people are at each level. And he said, okay, we're going to start here. This is where everyone is at. They're at this level and it's the most amount of people. He said, as you climb up, a lot of people will start to fall off. You know, the the pools get smaller, it gets harder, it gets more challenging. And I remember he just kind of laid out how it works, how the whole gymnastic system works, how the levels work. And he said, this is what you're going to work on. And he said, every year, our goal is to make it one level, one little step. And he said, if you make it one little step, you'll make the, you'll make it further, you know, to your goal. And so I just kind of, obs- no, I don't I don't want to say obsessed over it, but I was a kid that was very um, blinded by my goals. I loved gymnastics so much. I had a community that allowed me to love gymnastics so much. I was able to celebrate being a child. I was able to have friends outside of gymnastics and in school. I had this balance that really worked. So I really loved going into the gym and working towards that next goal. And honestly, just each year I would set my goal at the level higher and the level higher and the level higher. And I remember finding myself my sophomore year of high school. And I, my, like I had this pyramid. It was like posted up in our gym and my coach, we like celebrated when we would make it to another level and you got to write your name next to it. I don't know. It was cheesy. Um, But I remember writing my name down that year and it was the level under the Olympics. And I was like, how did this happen? Oh my gosh. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> like, I'm I'm a 15-year-old kid and this is impossible. And I remember just kind of chuckling to myself and being like, oh, well, this is cool. I had a good run. There's no chance I'm making it to the next one, but whatever. And then a month goes by and like, I, I start qualifying to that national team and the Olympic team. And I just, I remember being that kid at the Olympics, looking around being like, there's no way this happened. Because... I'm a small town kid from Iowa. I still led a normal life. I still went to public school. I wasn't like that stereotypical person or gymnast that you read about. I still loved what I did. And I just attribute it to my coach teaching me. It was like those tiny little goals every day that really got me there. And I just kind of became obsessed with it. Do you have that approach of like tiny little goals to marriage or parenting now? (laughs) Like, does that cross over? Uh, I wish it did. Again, I do not feel like that disciplined child I was back in the day. Maybe I am, but no. I'm like, oh, I want a brownie. I'm eating the whole thing. I don't care. Um, there's no like incremental goals set 
here. But I do think my husband and I really play off each other with that. We we use a lot of our like background in professional athletics to work on our marriage and work as parents and like not obsessing over too much, not being I, I feel like the only thing I truly learned from the Olympics or not only thing, but the biggest thing that I've taken into marriage and parenting is I was so obsessed with perfection in gymnastics, which is kind of the goal there. Mm-hmm. It's it's based on a perfect 10. It's based on true perfection. I was obsessed with perfection. And when I tried to take perfection outside of gymnastics, my life fell apart. Trying to find the perfect relationship, trying to look the perfect way, trying to wear the perfect outfit, everything. And so my goal as a parent and as a wife now is to not be perfect because there's no thing as perfection. Wise words. I don't know. <laughs> very, very wise Agreed. words. Now, you've been, you've been very open about... Um, about your personal life. And it's something that, you know, Daphne and I do. We we're on social media mm-hmm. and we're we're sharing and we're we're very open and raw about different experiences that we have. How do you fe- how do you do you feel like sometimes it's too much? Do you feel like sometimes you have to shut down or are you just happy? Does it feel just good to to let it flow? Uh no. I think it's a it's a give and take of the situation of what I'm going through of where I'm at in the healing process of what I'm going through. I feel like with Andrew and I, with our marriage, everything is very um, close to the chest. So we have like a marital rule that we will share everything. We will share anything you want to know, but we have to have gone through it and we have to have healed through it and truly experienced it before we ever share it. Otherwise, it's not being fair to us as a couple. We're letting outside influences affect us before we ever get to actually um, communicate through something. If it affects us personally, I think it's a little bit different. I think it just depends on what it is and what I'm looking for from social media. I feel like for so long, I felt like social media was one-sided. Like you were just sharing something to these random people. And then when I started to go through and started to share more vulnerable things, I instantly felt like it was a community where I could actually talk to people and hear their stories and kind of heal through them mm-hmm. and through almost like a like a healing group or a therapeutic group that you would go to somewhere like within your community or your, your city. But it was online. Right. And I really liked that. No, I, I hear you. I think that that's I think that's one of the most beautiful things about about social media. Oh, you were um you you were really open about miscarriage. I had I had two last year um, and then a baby this year. I had one before 12 weeks and then I had one um, at four months at the end of the year last year. I'm sorry about that. I remember reading about that. Yeah, it was was tough. And, you know, I look at my son now who was just born two months ago and Mm -hmm. he was meant to be here. You know, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't. I you, again, you're going to create some story that's going to wrap up yeah. and, and help you sleep at night, and and who knows whether just bad things happen and good things happen, or if it's all meant to be. I mean, I I heard a lot of different things, but you know, social media was something that helped me tremendously through that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only just to sit to to say say it right away and make it real because I couldn't handle one more person congratulating me when obviously everybody knew I was, I was four months along and I don't want anyone to say, oh, it's so exciting. How are you feeling anymore? Mm-hmm. I just need to be like, I needed to be real. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I found this out. This is horrible. And even before I had surgery, I decided to like just share it because I couldn't hear it anymore and need to start process. What was your, what was your, your choice when you decided to be 
open about that and 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 you know about your your pregnancy as well. Um, how did it feel going through that? Um, Aside from the horrible feelings of the miscarriage, but just in terms of the sharing. Um, I would say up until that moment, I was very guarded with social media. I was very politically correct. I was taught to be that way my entire professional career. You didn't give controversial answers. You didn't give anything personal. You didn't show emotion. You didn't cry. That was kind of what we were taught within the media realm and the PR realm of the United States team. And I kind of kept that with me for so many years. Whatever I shared, I skewed it in a way that was positive. I skewed it in a way that was PC. I made myself look like I was fine. I didn't care. I never shared anything that was raw. And I remember in that moment, you just feel lost. I I felt truly at a loss. I had never felt something like that before, loss-wise and pain-wise, emotionally. And I did not know how to like take a step forward. I didn't know how to heal from it. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know if I should call my mom. I didn't know, like, because up until that moment, I was such a, like, a brave face. Yes, I'm good. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Whatever. And I remember asking my husband, because we had put together a video for us personally. It was not for the world. And it was therapeutic editing that video. But then when I told him I wanted to post it, he thought I was crazy. He was like, babe, let's wait. Let's protect like your heart a little bit more. Let's give it a few days at least and we'll come back to it. And I said, no, I want to post it. And I remember sitting there bawling my eyes out for hours, reading the comments from women over and over and over again, sharing the same pain and telling me, I went through this this many times and I still had a beautiful baby. And I just all these stories and I didn't feel alone. And it was the first time I shared something so raw and I didn't get judged for it. And it just kind of opened up this whole world of you don't have to hide behind a mask anymore. There's no purpose and there's no reason. And it was just a really therapeutic experience for me personally. No, I, I hear you. I mean, the, the the ability for us all to come together and realize that you know, I think so much in going what we were saying before about looking at that person. How does that person look at near mm-hmm. leotard? And how do I look in where you're com- there's competing? And whether you're a gymnast or whether you are just a regular person who's, you know, going to the supermarket, you know, we all are somehow either taught or wired or a combination of both to do that. And then when when something gets really hard and we have the courage to open up, and and share. We realize that we're so not alone and we're so much more similar than we are different. And and that's where the healing can can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you once you make it real, then you can do something with it. Mm-hmm. Once you guard it, it's you're constantly protecting that that pain rather than letting the pain out and and allowing help. Um, so no, it was very inspiring that 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 you that you were so open and you know did a great service for other people to to feel open as well. Um, tell us about your company, uh, Teddy, Teddy and Bear. Oh my gosh. Um, Teddy and Bear. So my husband and I, it was kind of a family project and we're obsessed with our kid, just like any parents are. Um, and we're, con- we are constantly looking for like, as any parent is, toys and entertainment and things to just continually keep your child happy and giggling. And we travel a lot with her pre-COVID. 
So there is just this combination. We always wanted to start a business with her, like in honor of her, inspired by her. And hopefully one day I just want to like give it to her. Um, but we did these, they're, it's called Teddy and Bear and they're um, sock puppets, but they're socks. And it's a box of eight, but they're all mismatched and they're all different characters. And they live within this world of, you know, their own and they all have unique stories. And it's just kind of a way to, for us to teach our daughter about, you know, society and culture and just things that are going on in the world with different characters and they all look different and they all sound different. And it was just a fun way for us to kind of have these memories and experiences as a family. And then we ended up selling them. It was something we had made personally for home. And it wasn't until months later, we're like, we should sell these. It should be fun. So they're, yeah, it's, it's eight socks that you can use as sock puppets and you can wear them or play with them. So, so cute. And they're non-slip, <laughs> which is so important. It's like finding yes. non-slip socks or yes. that is, you know, that is the real dream. Um, yes. And you guys also have a podcast together. A couple things. We do. I feel like you guys spend a lot of time together. You must we really spend, like each other. We spend a lot of time together. Yeah. I don't What's know the how podcast do about? Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. Too much time. Um, but the podcast is a couple things. It's all about couples and the things they go through. We... My husband and I both got tired of social media um, mm-hmm. when it came to our relationship and everybody saying, this won't work. This does work. If you don't do this, your marriage will fail. If you do this, your marriage, whatever. People, I just felt like in society, put relationships in a box and they say, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't, things aren't going to work out. And I hated that because I think that sets everyone up for failure. Um, so we interview couples about their crazy lives and how they make the relationship work. And we've gotten to talk to a lot of really, really cool people who do it completely different, but yet it works for them. And I think it's just a good way for us to celebrate relationships because I think they're awesome and not scare the next generation away from them um, mm-hmm. and hopefully encourage them to kind of pursue it. So, Well, your, your anti-perfect mantra, I think, is probably <laughs> something that is really valuable, especially for the next generation to hear. I do think that there's a like a feeling like if there's um, if it's not perfect, it must not be right. And I think mm-hmm. that that's so wrong. And I mean, humans are human and they're and you're two fully grown, like full fledged humans coming into each other to have to build something together. Like there are going to be clashes and valleys and hills and all the rest of it. Um, and I think it's still I think it's also really important because you're still so young and I don't know how old your husband is, but I assume he's, you know, around the same age and. And to see how that you can still have so much fun, because I also mm-hmm. think there was this false sense that like, well, after you get married and after you, you know, have kids, you really have to buckle down, like get serious, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I'm like, yeah. no, it should still be so fun. Um, also, speaking of so fun, uh, you also won Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> so yeah. Let's that talk thing. about that. Like, <laughs> what is that? What is that situation like? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, it was terrifying really wait why like performance anxiety like why terrifying so i was if you were to meet me as a kid i was painfully shy like painfully shy the only thing i felt comfortable in and had confidence in was gymnastics that's kind of where i felt like i always told people back in the day i felt like hannah montana back in the day where i felt like a rock star in gymnastics i could come out of my shell and i felt like i could be who i was but outside of that, I was, I was a hermit. And 
when it came to like dancing and being like letting loose, oh, that terrified me. So going on Dancing with the Stars, I was 16 years old, right after the Olympics. And I remember the first week I was supposed to do, I think like the cha-cha with my partner. One, I had never had a boyfriend. I had never danced with a boy before, let alone, I was a very Stop. like- Stop. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Your first dance was like dancing with the stars? <laughs> dancing with the stars, yes. you know. That's yeah. insane. Like, I, had been, I had been to prom, but I was that girl that like hid in the corner. I right. told people I went to prom, but I like hid in the corner of the bathroom the whole time. I ran away from my date the whole dance. Um, so it was like my first true dance with a guy. And not to mention, he was like 28. And I was like, this is just, I'm really freaked out. Um, but the first week I locked myself in the bathroom. We were supposed to do the cha-cha or something, which is like, uh, he described it's it as like the- It's a sexy dance. Yeah, it's a sexy <laughs> it's, dance. It's a sexy um, dance. <laughs> locked myself in the bathroom, cried, called my mom, said, I want to go home. And she calmed me down and she's like, honey- one day at a time, but you're going to love it. Just stick with it. And I ended up loving it. I love everything about the show. It's such a good group of people. They truly make you feel like family. It's not cutthroat. They don't try to edit things wrong. It was just, it was a really good, like fun show to be part of. And I cracked my pants when I won. I was like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. <laughs> so I was dancing with the stars. Um, so yeah, it was fun. I loved it. Did it make you want to like continue dance or you were like, all right, now I won that. Now we can go on to like the next thing. Um, what are you yes. going to win next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's your workout right now? Like, what do you, do you mm, like to move? Do you still do gymnastics? Do you like, 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 what do you do? What do you do in your free time when you're champion, not only <sighs> of like the Olympics, but also dancing with the stars? <laughs> yes. What, um, what do you do in your free time? Like, do you just like do flips all the time? Uh, so no, I, w I am fine never flipping again in my entire life. I, I did <laughs> for a long time. I used to like, go into the gym once a week and then it slowly became once a month. And I used to look forward to it. And I think it was up until I had my daughter, I was still every once in a while going into the gym. I'd be like, oh, this is fun. And I had my daughter and I went back and I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I don't need to be here ever again. Um, but I love working out. My husband and I have a gym here at our house, which we're really lucky to have. Um, but yeah, we always work out together. Again, spend way too much time together. That's probably going to bite us in the butt someday. Going to get tired no, of that. No, you know what? Sometimes it just works. I've, yeah. My husband and I spend all of our time together. And like, as Daphne can see, when we used to work in person, like, is he not like calling me all the time? Like, yes. when we're not together. Yes. He's just calling me. And it just works. We're so different. I mean, like, how can I? I'm like the most different person from Alec Baldwin. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not. A, I mean, we're so opposite. But we're like best friends. And we spend like all of our time together. Yeah. yeah, I literally can hear him breathing on the other side of this door right now. <laughs> I love it. No, I think I mean, I, I wish I I wish I could spend even more time with my husband. And I do think that that's I, I think it works both ways. I think there's distance makes the heart grow fonder. I think yes, there's finding sure. a really beautiful rhythm when you spend so much time together. I think yes. that there also it sounds like there's a real a give and take and a, and an ability to relinquish like I needed it done this way or like I had yeah. to have it my way. And when you spend all your time with someone and you're building something really precious together, you got to, you know, that's that as long as you find a way to work that out, I think you're in good shape. Wait, yeah. so what's your favorite thing? We didn't we didn't hear. OK, I finally I like found Zara baby headbands and my daughter's obsessed with them. Yes. 
Yes. And she like will walk around the house and like almost like ask me to put them on her. Cute. And yeah. Yeah. That's a so, great. That's what I, Zara baby is amazing. It's amazing. Yes. yes. And they make the best shoes for babies. Yes. They make the best everything and everything yes. is so I'm obsessed with like um, everything Swedish now. And I feel like it's like so yes. of that area of like yeah. the muted colors and they just and, look and cool. Like your kids and look it's so not cool. Super expensive, <laughs> so when they like poop on it, then it's not so yes. bad. You know what I mean? Like it just yes. ends up being it's OK. Then they they wash well. They're doing like all sorts of stuff with organic um, materials now and. I remember yes. getting my son like all the little moto moto sweatpants, yes. like the like oh pleated gosh. knees and everything. He looked so rad. Super <laughs> cute. It's very yeah. super super cute. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sean. This stay, was awesome. Stay healthy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mom Oh, guys, such a fun mom. So inspiring. Um, it's incredible to to listen to her uh, with the gratitude that she has, yet the wisdom. Like, she's so wise. Right. Um, and, I, and you can see that, that, yes, she has struggles, but she's also had an amazing support system. And that's really beautiful to hear. It's beautiful to hear how close she is to her family, to her coach, to her husband. Um, it makes me feel a little less crazy about spending as much time with my husband <laughs> as I do. Um, I always love seeing other other couples that do exactly the same thing. Um, and and no, so we're we're very grateful that she wanted to to spend this time and, and share a little bit of herself with us. Yeah, no, she's the real deal. And she has just a wealth of like I feel like she's lived a very big life in a very short amount of time and um, has so many has such a good head on her shoulders as a result and is so strong from it. And I, uh, I really enjoyed getting to hear her story and having her share a little bit about what it takes to just, you know, win all the time, win, 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 and and to take on the moments in your life when it's really hard and it's really challenging with the same, um, self-compassion and strength and resilience. I think it was a really amazing, amazing interview. And I'm glad you guys got to hear it. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. My favorite thing, I, I, you guys all know I'm a crazy like workout person and I think about it as three parts. One is cardio. Normally I am running. I obviously broke my ankle getting away from a car. So that, that didn't work out so well for me, but I will be back to it. So right now I'm um, actually doing stationary bike to rehab it. I do yoga, of course, that gives you the stretching aspect. So we have the cardio, we have the stretching, and then there's a toning. So I have been obsessed for probably about 10 years now with an exercise called Physique 57. I do not work with them. I'm just like a huge, huge, huge fan. And I am, um, I've gotten very close with them because I've made them become my friends because I show up like everywhere. I'm like, oh, you're here. I will show up. Um, and since quarantine started, I got really into their online workouts. And so I do them most days. And it's been, it's great when I'm pregnant. It's great when I'm not pregnant. It's super hard, but it's manageable. Um, I find that whether I, I am really pregnant or I'm in like really good shape, I can I can make it into a challenging workout that I enjoy. Um, it's in like little segments, their workout. I think it's a very intelligent way to move your body and tone your muscles and also create some flexibility. Um, and anyway, I am I can't say enough about them. And so I texted my friend Alicia, who works there, and they she said, like I said, I wanted to make 
them my favorite thing today. And she said that if you use a code um, when you log on there, Ilaria Baldwin, all in caps, then they will give you the membership for $15.99 a month, which is really exciting. It's usually $24.99. I also think that that's very manageable um, for the quality that they give. I mean, it's a really incredible workout. So we'll link to it. I highly, highly, highly recommend. I know you guys have seen me do um, different workouts of theirs on um, my Instagram. So you can, I can always check there, but I cannot say enough. And so I will stop saying things because I will take up all the time. On to you, Daphne. Cool. Awesome. What's your favorite thing? Well, my favorite thing today is actually going to be the Balance and Prime Gel Moisturizer from Loom Beauty. So just totally putting it out there. I am a co-owner of this brand part of why I love it so much. But I will tell you, I've been using this moisturizer every time I do makeup. My skin is normally on the drier side. And I had been looking for a long time as I like clean up my routine and really try to strip away as many of the toxic additives that are in every part of our daily routine. They're in our foods, in our, you know, in our just cleaning products, in everything. And as I was going through my skincare routine, one of the first things to go were the primers that I used to use because they all contain silicones and my skin hates, hates, hates silicones. But I really missed that like beautiful velvety matte finish that silicone based primers give you. So I was pining away for one. And then this gel prime moisturizer is, is for me has become like my replacement to that primer step because it actually is perfect for oilier type skin types. And so it actually works to mattify the skin all day long. It has salicylic acid in it. So it's actually going to prevent mm. bacteria from building up, prevent um, excess breakouts. sebum, pre- prevent breakouts. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. But it also has this sort of naturally filling and lifting effect that works just like a silicone-based primer, except there are no silicones in it, which is very exciting for me. It is a clean, cruelty-free, and vegan brand all throughout anyway, so you also can feel good about that. But I have to tell you, I've been using this moisturizer every time I do my makeup, and it just gives me control that I wanted also to like give me the dewy highlights where I want it, maybe at the top of my cheeks or maybe a little bit at the bridge of my nose, but not in the T-zone where I feel like I was always having to powder when I was using my regular moisturizer before. Um, so it's just... It's It's really like upgraded my makeup routine. It's made me feel like my makeup applies better. It lasts longer because there isn't that slip. And and I just love that it's silicone free. So that's my favorite thing this week. And that's it from us for this episode. You guys spread the word as always. Get us to all your girlfriends. We want to we want everybody listening to mom brain. And most importantly, all of you guys would love to hear from you. We want you to be a part of this conversation as much as possible. We are on all social outlets. We are also on email, um, mombrainpod at gmail.com. And uh, if you haven't already, if you want to, you know, drop us a little rating and review, a little five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Um, And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.